hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Personal finance expert and award-winning author Robin Taub joins us on the program today. As Financial Literacy Month continues in November, Robin highlights a variety of topics, including dealing with debt, adjusting spending habits, and fintech. She says our society has gone almost cashless due to fintech and AI changing our spending habits and how we view money and saving and spending. That, along with economic changes of high interest rates and increased debt, has changed our environment, an environment favorable for savers and challenging for spenders. Robin points out the five pillars of financial health, including earning, saving, spending, sharing, and investing. Educating our younger and older generations about financial wellness can be beneficial. She suggests to initiate conversations with older clients about adopting fintech, perhaps involving the younger generations in explaining tech solutions, and adapting to fintech advancements and staying vigilant against scams. This podcast was recorded on November 8th, 2023. Great to see you back Thanks, here. It feels Pamela. like it was yesterday. Yeah, it does. <laughs> like, it does. We're glad to have you back. Thanks. Welcome everyone's questions for Robin over the next 30 minutes or so. Let's let's go into this changing world. I mean, we're all living it. So I think to an extent, we're all aware of it. But I'm curious from your perspective, actually how different certain things are from, you know, even five years ago, like just mm-hmm. pre-pandemic. How have things shifted? In which areas have right. things shifted? A lot of things have shifted and were accelerated by the pandemic, I would say. Uh, The first would be this, um, we're now in an almost cashless society. So the the evolution towards a digital world and the innovations in fintech that have come out of that, that's one. Um, The other would be this year, I think, is the year of AI. And there's just so much advancement in artificial intelligence and, and it's infiltrating all different areas of finance. And then the third would be we're in such a different economic environment than we were one year ago, for sure five years ago. Um, We have, you know, we've seen record inflation. It's leveling off. High prices are lingering. We have high interest rates that seem to be uh, holding for now. And, you know, also just the impact of the pandemic on how we work, how we live is still lingering too. So it's really a different, it's a different world 2023. And it tells a little bit about, like, let's go into sort of the savings story. This is the consumer health story, mm-hmm. but but ultimately this the mountain of savings, some of it's still there, but it is getting eaten away. We're in a different time in mm-hmm. terms of the economy itself. Yeah. And you can see it in the in the level of you know household debt, especially credit card debt. People have used up their pandemic savings, stimulus money they were receiving. And there was also this burst of demand for things that we couldn't do during COVID. Right. So a lot of spending at higher prices means that, you know, if there's a shortfall, people are using their credit cards or other, you know, lines of credit and debt to just kind of to make ends meet. So how wrong is that? Well, from it's, your not perspective. Sustainable, it's not sustainable, as you know. Yeah, especially when interest rates are high on credit cards now, they're often over 20%. Personal lines of credit, like the prime rate is just so much higher than it was. We were in such a low interest rate environment for so long. So it's really a great time to be a saver mm. because rates are high and not a great time to be a spender if you can't afford to, to pay for what you're buying. So, so, I mean, being a saver in a lot of ways 
is being an investor, yes. isn't it? it it's they, the first step of, being the, an investor. They're the first step. Okay, let's go through your pillars, actually. Okay. It takes it in order, which I quite like. So you've got five pillars of, an, of um, financial money. health, yes. of money. Yes. Okay, and they are? And they are earn, because first you have to earn money. Right. If you don't earn money, you don't have the choices uh, that follow. And they are, so you earn, save, spend, share, and invest. So those are the five pillars, earn, save, spend, share and invest. And I usually share those with parents to help frame a conversation with their kids about money. Right, right. And the sharing is, is giving. giving. It's yes, giving. giving. It's giving donation. Back. It's giving, yeah. giving back. Um, let's go into um, the world of budgeting, which I find endlessly tedious. <laughs> I've got to tell you, it's not my favorite part of everything. Um, but it must be done. And actually, it's much easier and faster these days. I mean, if anyone works with an accountant or whatever, you can sort of see what the accountant is doing is just much more automated. Everything's in yes. the cloud. It's a, it seems to be a faster process. Yes. Well, I agree with you. Most people think of budgeting as deprivation. They, it's like dieting. <laughs> so people tend to avoid it. But And maybe because I'm an accountant by training, I don't totally hate it. I yeah. like numbers. I like, I like seeing the numbers because they never lie. Right. Because often no, how, so good how you think yeah. you spent, you're spending your money is quite different from how you're actually spending it. And it's not until you track it and look at it that you know. But that this is a great place where, you know, fintech has really uh, advanced how we budget. Uh, maybe you heard in the news that Mint by Intuit just, it's closing down by the end of the year. But that was one of the original tracking and budgeting tools. But now all the big banks. I was going to say, is that because all the banks do it anyway? I think so. It never yeah. made money for them. It was always a free tool. So now all the big banks have, I would say, a less robust version built into their online mobile banking app. Right. And it just makes it so easy to uh, track your spending by category and use that information to set budgets and set alerts and notifications to let you know when you're approaching you know, the maximum of your budget. Uh, you can even gamify it and try to spend less in a certain category than right. you did the previous month. So it, it's just made it a lot more efficient and painless because you don't have to do the record keeping. It's that part's all done for you. Yeah, it's sort of it's sort of fascinating how how all that happened. Do, do you think even that accelerated through the pandemic, or was that just kind of coming anyway? I think that was already there. Yeah. Um, like things like photo check deposit, like some of those right. uh, fintech innovations have been around for a while. But maybe because uh, people. You know, a lot of people, it was a financial wake-up call, COVID. And if, if they weren't working suddenly or, you know, just less money was coming in, they, they needed to look at their budgets again. So maybe people started using those tools more because, you know, there was a need to really just make sure that they weren't going to get in a bad situation, right. you know, as the pandemic wore on. And as as some business, as usual, trying to, to continue, for instance, financial advisors, Asking their clients to, you know, you got to sign these. The DocuSign yeah. sort of, whoever was hesitating suddenly launched into accepting it, it seemed to. Yeah, like for advisors, yeah. their clients couldn't come in and meet with them in person. Right. You know, branches were closed, offices were closed. So it became a necessity to get online and be able to sign sign documents. Um, as you said earlier, for on the accounting side, if you had to, you know, your books and records could now be done. Um, and put in the cloud and your accountant could review them that way as opposed to, you know, physically doing things in, on paper. Right. All that was accelerated by COVID. And I think that stuff's really here to stay because it's just so much more efficient. There's like no need for paper clips anymore, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I still have a few. But, yeah, I was going to say, do you but, still have a few? Um, as well, the emergency fund, which yeah. I feel like that was always a part of 
more traditional finance. discussing yeah. about financial health. Was there mm-hmm. a time there where that with zero interest rates, it, it just got a bit less prominent or, or am I just imagining that? I think it's always been a tenant right. of good okay. you know, financial management to have an emergency fund and the rule of thumb is like three to six months just right. to get you through a period where you're, you can't work at, due to illness or like a pandemic. Um, but I think that, again, there was just a, a bit more awareness because it became a reality in COVID. As you said, with zero interest rates, maybe people were relying on credit, credit cards right. to to bridge or to, you know, in an emergency to pay for something that they weren't expecting, like a furnace repair or something, because it wasn't as expensive to carry that debt. But now when you're looking at high interest rates, it's better to have savings to to deal with those types of things. Financial um, planners, advisors will be having broad discussions with their clients about all kinds of things. But, But is there something to be said for you know, what you did five, 10 years ago with low interest rates yeah. with your credit card is kind of, I mean, I don't know what you would say the message is, but what, what is the message of before and now in terms of how you put things on credit? It's um, much more expensive now to carry a balance. Yeah. And there was some alarming uh, research that came out of the U.S. that the that balances have now exceeded a trillion dollars and there's a lot more delinquencies. And Is that a big change from what it was before? I don't know. I actually can't remember what what the level was before, but just the fact that it breached that trillion, I think was it's a big, high. was an all time high. Yes, and there are more delinquencies because I think that's a sign of the times. You know, people aren't able to keep up. Rent has gone up so much. Food, the cost of living. So people can't. They're putting things on credit, and then unfortunately, they're unable to pay. You know, pay off the full balance, and some are even having trouble keeping up with the minimum payment payments. Right. I mean, the types of debt, so credit card is is basically the one that everyone has in their pocket, for sure. Um, let's go through some of the other ones. So the personal line of credit that you might have, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're doing renovation on your home or, or just right. to have, um, but also car loans. Obviously, the mortgages is the massive one, but j- just tell yeah. us a little bit about well, what might be done or what you might suggest to clients um, juggling different types of debt. You know, if you, I think it's just to minimize how much debt you're carrying and if you're able to pay off debt this is a good time not to be carrying balances, especially on credit cards and personal loans, because, well, credit cards really are the most expensive. Um, Things like personal loans would be tied to the prime rate, and, you know, your your car loan is going to be more expensive than it would have been if you had bought a car a couple of years ago before the Fed started, you know, and the Bank of Canada started raising rates. So, Good time to pay down debt, to prioritize paying down debt. I mean, you also want to prioritize saving, you know, saving for retirement, saving for your kids' post-secondary education, all the other goals that you might have. But as I said, you do want to try and get get rid of any high interest debt, so credit cards primarily. And and how does it sort of work to... um adjust your spending ultimately. So mm-hmm. I mean, what would, so let's say you are going to try and pay down whatever type of debt yeah. it is. Maybe it's credit card, maybe it's something else. You want to get a jump on your car loan uh, and just kind of get rid of it. What, what do you suggest getting rid of? Well, that's where the tracking comes in. Can, yeah. You can see where your money's actually going. And then the easiest thing is to look for the low hanging fruit. So discretionary spending, that's more of a, is it the a beach want vacation? than a need. It could be. It could be the beach I mean, again, vacation. it's going to be different yeah. for everyone, depending on what's really important to you. Some people might feel that that's a high priority, yeah. but it is the discretionary expenses. It shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't be your automatic savings. You want to keep those going and your automatic investing. But things like, um, 
maybe gifts even, mm -hmm. uh, just things that are, are, as I said, are more wants than needs. Right, right. Fascinating how that works. Even the latte. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, you know, the latte factor, although some people say that's just not going to make a difference really, right. but it is the little indulgences and the wasteful spending. That's just a euphemism for that. So it's whatever that is for you. I think subscriptions is a good example. A lot right. of people... Um, did a lot of subscriptions for streaming services, food delivery apps, memberships for things. Maybe take a take a look at that and do a bit of a subscription audit and see if there's some things that you could probably get rid of or live without. Yeah, that you maybe don't use anyway or, yeah. you know, or not enough. I hate to say it, but entertainment too and eating out, even yeah. though those are fun things that we enjoy, yeah. that's low-hanging fruit. Like concert tickets, yeah. those experiences have gotten so outrageously expensive. Mm -hmm. So we're going to the Taylor Swift movie yes exactly uh, this weekend but it's affordable. affordable alternatives yeah. yes yeah. that's i want to see it too she, it's um <laughs> it's good but you want to yeah it's long um <laughs> but they love it so um what do you think about getting into the idea of sort of financial literacy for those that have had a very particular system of you know and it's probably worked for for many people perhaps they're getting closer to retirement they had a, a system where they didn't automate everything in mm -hmm. terms of tracking how do you suggest those conversations go for advisors with clients? I mean, do they have to switch or right? Do can they carry on? Is yeah, I mean, probably advisors would find that their older clients may be less interested in making changes, less um, open to adopting technologies that would make things a little more efficient. Um, maybe they're still used to getting paper statements every month as opposed to going online and looking at their account and things like that. Um, but I think, you know, have a conversation with your client about it. I mean, I think yeah. that's the best thing. And maybe Financial Literacy Month is the excuse to check in yeah. and just say, you know, it's how you doing? We are in this crazy economic environment. Just want to make sure that everything's still on track or what changes you've been experiencing in your life or your budget. Um, and then again, like what tools are you using to help you get a, a handle on your finances and maybe suggest some tools that they may not be aware of. And then and bring their child in yeah. to show them how the tool works on well, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> one meeting to go away like, oh, no, I don't know how that works. I mean, that's the thing. Like our children are digital natives for the most part. They've grown up with technology. So for them to use something on their phone or on a computer is just second nature. Yeah. So it's such a great opportunity to have a multi-generational conversation around money and see how each generation can learn from each other. Right. So I think as parents, we can learn a lot about tech and these great tools and resources from our kids. And then I'm sure, you know, we, with all the experience we have living in different economic times, living through crashes and boom periods and having seen all these market cycles, we can impart some of that knowledge to our kids too. So there's so much we can learn from each other. And I think an advisor is in such a great position to bring those generations together, to bridge those generations and have a meeting as a family, I mean, you want to start um, developing a relationship with that next generation too as an advisor. Yeah. So maybe that's another way. It's a in. great excuse. Another yeah, exactly. To broker the family relationship with no eye rolls from the teenagers. Yeah. yeah good luck with that. Um, so I, I think also getting into, I mean, this will often be the pushback that you get from someone who has a certain system. Mm -hmm. They like the way it works. And then you read nothing but, you know, data leaks and certain True types of digital breaches, yeah. breaches and so on that, that happen. And, you know, it, there's reason to be fearful of that, actually. I mean, there's you want to be careful with how you mm -hmm. have a digital footprint, for sure. Um, what do you sort of 
how do you balance that? Like, what, right. what, how do you sort of walk into that one? Because that's usually the pushback, isn't it? I don't want to put my my information. It just seems so foreign to them. It's like if you ever are in your bank branch, the people that you see there are usually elderly people that are still used to going to the teller for deposits and withdrawals. They're not comfortable with the machine. I understand that. It's like, you know, they're from a different time, but we're not going back. These fintech, these, you know, the digital revolution evolution is here and it's galloping. Yeah. And it's just accelerating. We're not going back. So it's, I think it's important for all of us to develop new skills to learn new things, even as we get older, even if it puts us outside our comfort zone. But to your point, you still have to be really um, vigilant about fraud, about scams, about phishing. And, you know, there's these horrible grandparent scams. Absolutely. So, which target people that are not as financially savvy and which is just horrendous. After so their kids have been like, get online, get online. Yeah. Get online. And, and then, then something something like people are waiting for them. Yeah. So yeah. It's, anyway, so it's, again, so you have to be careful. Something to be kind of brokered by the advisor or, you know, at least discuss perhaps. Yeah. Just, yeah. Rem- it's a reminder, like remind your clients to be vigilant. Um, you know, I'm sure the advisors out here are not sending, um, you know, text messages if there's like a, some significant development on their account. Yeah. Of course. So just like training your clients that if they get something like that, it, be skeptical. It's probably phishing. Yeah. So don't click on those things. Right. For sure. Um, do you recommend, you know, parents, again, trying to teach children? Like, do you hear much about teenager or being being given a lump sum, say $500, to learn how to invest? Or, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you'll, I've interviewed those people sort of 20 years later, and they're like, yeah, my grandmother gave me, you know, mm-hmm. $250 or whatever to uh, to try investing and then I got the bug or I liked yeah. saving and I liked how markets worked and I like to understand. I and, have heard those stories too. Um, and yeah, I think that, I mean, as, as we said earlier, the first step is earning and for, for kids that aren't yet working, earning could be getting money for a birthday, a holiday, you know, a holiday just as a gift. And I think it's a great idea for a teenager to not just save it, but think about investing because they have such a long time horizon um, to take advantage of compounding to grow their wealth. So in fact, like even with my own kids, they did receive a significant amount of money around the time they turned 13. And I invested it in trust for them Mm -hmm. because uh, they cannot, you know, as minors, they couldn't open a brokerage account. But as their parent, I could open it in trust for them. And you know, I discussed with them how we were investing the money and it was really simple in ETFs. Yeah. But um, when they became 18 and they can open, uh, they could open a tax-free savings account, a TFSA, that's what we did. And we and transferred, transferred it to them. And then at that point, if they didn't like the, you know, the simple portfolio that I had st- structured for them, they could make changes. Yeah, and I think it was a really good learning experience for them. And also, you know, they understood that that tax-free savings account was different from like a regular uh, non-registered brokerage account. And then we also right. talked about RSPs. So again, that was a teachable moment, which is something I always talk about for yeah. parents to look and advisors to look for these opportunities to build a money lesson in. And that was a good one when we transferred um, those funds. Yeah. So that's absolutely brilliant. It's so it's so interesting. That you chose that. I, I, so you just chose some ETFs that yeah. maybe had a more a balanced approach of some yeah, version? Yeah, it was, like a, it was, was the, like a couch potato ETF yeah. portfolio. There was some fixed income. <laughs> there was some Canadian equity, U.S. equity, and international. And it was very interesting to see how those different ETFs performed over time. Right. And I remember my son said to me, 
like, I can't believe you bought like a fixed income ETF. Why would you do that? I was like 13 years old. We should have just put it all in equities. I had so much time ahead of me. And in some but ways he, he was right. Those yeah, I was yeah. actually pretty impressed with them. And he's like the my child that's not a financial professional. My daughter is. But he like I've taught him over the years and he actually said that and he did make adjustments to his portfolio. But I think we talked about this too. You can also do these simulations. Like a yeah. lot of um right. The banks uh, will have. Yeah, so you're not playing with a, with real money, but you can set up like a mock portfolio right. and learn that way. It's like training wheels. And yeah. then once you feel like you have some skills and knowledge, maybe you start with like a small, small amount of money and use that to sort of learn with. What, what are some of the questions that you, you, you speak to a lot of different people in a lot of different um, situations and, and different audiences? What do you find are, are some of the sort of financial literacy questions that you get? What what tends to oh, be yeah. sort of the top three yeah. questions that come your way? So I think, yeah, what you're asking is like, what keeps parents up at yeah, night? completely. Yeah. So I would say that parents want their kids to be financially literate, meaning having the knowledge, skills, and confidence to make responsible financial decisions throughout their lives. I think they want them to have the... I think they're worried that if they don't, they'll be lacking a basic life skill. Right. And that could lead to bad habits, uh, like living beyond their means. And it could also lead to financial stress, which can translate into like physical and mental health challenges. So I think for parents that have struggled with that themselves, that's something that they want their kids to avoid. And um, I think that parents that have means that are more affluent, I think their concerns are um, that their kids become responsible inheritors, mm -hmm. that they become financially mature and they become good stewards of wealth. Because eventually if the, if the money is passed, you know, when the money changes hands, they want to make sure that their kids are prepared to handle a financial windfall and that they, you know, they are responsible and they know what they're doing. They still don't have to be experts. I think they, you know, most parents expect their child to continue working with an advisor and getting professional advice. They don't expect them to know everything, but they want to feel that they're financially mature and prepared. Yeah, that's fascinating. So you get questions around those things. That yeah, and conferences I attend, it's really interesting to hear, um, you know, what what's on parents' minds. I think another big thing is parents, and I, you know, I feel this way. I want my kids to have a sense of purpose, sure. not a sense of entitlement. Right. You know, and I think that. That's true for parents that are wealthy or parents that are, you know, middle class or even struggling to get by. I think everyone needs purpose. And I think most most parents want their kids to to find that in their lives. And um, yeah, when we look at fintech, I sometimes we talk about it here more in terms of how how they are as investments, for instance. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but what are we talking about when we're talking about fintech? Like there's a lot of stuff rolled into what the banks offer. Then there's various fintech sort of mortgage lenders, for instance. Yeah, that's what, true. What different layers of fintech do you find useful? Because also things are created that aren't useful. I mean, just because you can create it doesn't mean it's a good financial tool necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I think of it most often with banking. Yeah, and what's just, folded into Yeah, how it's just made it like so almost unnecessary to go into a branch yeah. if you're talking about a traditional bank. And then, as you know, there's all these challenger banks or digital only banks yep. where everything is done online, like the onboarding and all of your transacting is done either on your phone or on your computer. So I think of that as one area, but yes, um, borrowing as well was um, yeah. 
an area where that was innovative, where you didn't have to go to your bank for a loan. There were other places that were, were making loans. Um, I think checking your credit score became a big area for fintech innovation. There's a lot of um, apps now where you can check your credit score, know, know what that is. And, and obviously that's important because it affects your ability to borrow and at what rates. Um, and is it important to borrow early on so that you start to get some traction as a credit rating? Yes. So it is because even, um, you know, young people, it's not just, it's based on how, you know, if you pay your bills on time too. So it's, it's your credit card. It's whether you pay your hydro and your phone bill on time. And that does establish a track record and a credit history. And eventually most people will need to borrow, you know, larger Something. sums like for a car or for a home. So yes, it does using your credit card responsibly, like as we were saying earlier, by paying off the full balance, if you can every month, those things are going to help make your credit score yeah. high and good. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, within the investing realm too, there's so much innovation as well in terms of like buying and selling um, stocks, ETFs, yeah. trading, looking at your dashboard and being able to see your past performance and just comparing it to indexes. And I mean, I just think about the, the you know, the banking app I use and how much it's changed over the last yeah. few years and how much more, many more features and things there are in there. There's a couple that haven't changed that much. Yeah, maybe not. Um, but they probably will. This is all. This is all. Yeah, happening. I think it takes time and resources. So what do you, I mean, I know what I like to sort of get up in the morning and the first headlines I look at are X, Y, and yeah. Z. What, what, what do you like to sort of check? Do you check actually your bank account? Do you check like what, what does someone yes. like a you financial person fascinated <laughs> in all of these things? Yeah. What, what's the sort of first line thing you do in your work day? So I usually read, I subscribe to two newsletters, The Morning Brew, which is really kind of more of like a cheeky, fun um, daily newsletter. And I also scan the New York Times daily newsletter. Mm -hmm. um, but then I look at the Wall Street Journal. I love that it's great. paper. It's, it's paper, just yeah. so good. But I, I do this all on my iPad. So it's all digital. Yeah. And I just look for personal finance stories. I, I, look, I like to keep my eye on what's going on in the US as well, because it really influences what happens here. Um, so I like to look at the, and I listen to um, daily podcasts. I listen to the Wall Street Journal morning and evening one. And also they have another one called The Journal, which is more of a deep dive. Yeah. So I like to just keep up with financial news and business news because it really sets the context for what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I do check my banking app. You do, right? Because, yeah. yes, I do. I like to scan the balances, like my personal, my business. I look at my credit cards. I make sure, like, payments went through. Um, I do kind of keep an eye for, like, weird or suspicious transactions. Right. Yeah, and I and I have, a, like, a watch list of securities that I just kind of keep an eye on in indices, and I always check that, like, every day. I like to see if it's green or red. <laughs> see, I love that. I, <laughs> I do. I'm fascinated with all of that. Robin, it's such uh, a pleasure to have a chance to speak with you, and thank you for sharing all your I love coming here. Thank you for thoughts. having me again. With everyone here today, all the very best. We'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Happy Financial Literacy Happy Month. Happy Financial <laughs> Literacy Month. It's a mouthful, actually, but yes, yeah. indeed. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. 
And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.